This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Because, uh, as you heard, uh, Pastor and Mrs. P are out of town. They, uh, they just uh, sold their house, and they're in the process of moving to a new house. So it just so happened that they had already had a, a, a week in Big Bear plan. So it works out since they don't have a house to stay in at the moment. So they are up there. Uh, vacationing since they don't have a house until they close next week, I think. Uh, and then, uh, Pastor Dave, uh, they're, they're almost ready. In fact, I'm not gonna, I have to be honest with you because we're in church. He told me a few days ago, he's like, he's like, and they, they started calling me Pastor Josh, so I'm really starting to get used to that. He's like, Pastor Josh, I need you to have a sermon ready for this Wednesday on the off chance that I can't be there. And I'm like, I, I can't lie because I'm in church, so I was thinking to myself, he's gonna be there. There's no way he's not gonna be there. And then uh, he called me, like, last night. He's like, I'm not going to be there. I need you. you got that sermon ready, don't you? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I totally got a sermon ready. Um, and so I need you all to pray for me tonight because since we're in church, I did not totally have the sermon ready. But we won't tell Pastor Dave that. As far as, oh, he's what? He's probably watching, huh? Well, mute the camera for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I've had this sermon ready. I studied and prayed on it for like the last three months. Just, no. Um, but <laughs> I pray that this sermon blesses you nonetheless, despite, uh, there's, uh, every time, you know, every time I'm talking to my worship team and we have a bad practice, I tell them that uh, the scripture says that it's in our weakness that the Lord is, is made strong. So usually when we have our worst practices is when, we get to the service, and it's the most powerful because we're not relying on ourselves. We're relying on the Lord. And so that's what I'm doing tonight. I'm relying on the Lord. So um, let's go ahead and get into the Word. So uh, just follow along for just a minute. My brother must be saying crazy stuff. On... Oh, he's see, my brother's praying for me from home. I appreciate it. Thank you, Pastor Dave. Uh, <laughs> make me lose my train of thought. Uh, though, um, but here we go. Let's, let's get into the word. So the first minute, just bear with me. But back in the day, like back in the sixties and seventies, there was this famous comedian named Flip Wilson. And uh, Tom was telling me he's heard of him before. Probably some of the older people have. And then I do because my dad would always watch those old shows when I was a kid. But there was this comedian named Flip Wilson. And one of his most famous uh, bits was that he would have this person that would go around doing bad, stupid, mean things, and whenever people would call him out and say, you know, what, why are you doing that stupid stuff? He'd say, well, the devil made me do it. And so uh, just just bear with me for a minute. I've asked the uh, media team to just play a, a really, really quick video clip of what I'm talking about. So uh, if you can hit that real quick and turn the volume up nice and loud. She came in the house. She had the box. Rev saw it. Rev said, what, another dress? So this is ridiculous. Three dresses in a week, another dress. And she tells him, I didn't want to buy this dress. <laughs> the devil made me buy this dress. <laughs> she said, I was going down the street. I was minding my own business, singing to myself. I said, what you said? <laughs> and the devil stopped following me, telling me how good I look. <laughs> Rev said, I'm not going for that. He said, because every time you do something wrong, you blame it on the devil. He said, you blamed it on the devil when you ran the car under the side of the church. She tells him, it was the devil. 
You wasn't there. How do you know? Okay, he grabbed that steering wheel out of my hand. Biff said, well, why didn't you step on the brake? She tells him, because when he grabbed the steering wheel, I tried to kick him. I can't kick him and step on the brake at the same time. Said we had a big fight. That's why I was in the back seat when y'all got the call. Yeah. So, sorry, you just have to bear with me sometimes. But uh, it's a funny video, but I know that there, deep down there's a lot of people who think that they're not always in control of their actions, that they can't control it. Um, and so uh, for anyone uh, who struggles, who falling into the same sins and the same temptations over and over again, um, I want to take tonight just a look at our feelings and our motivations. And so uh, the title of my message tonight is, uh, The Devil Didn't Make Me Do It. And I, I don't know where I found that graphic. Ignore the graphics. <laughs> the devil didn't make me do it. But um, let me say a quick prayer, and then we'll get into the word together. So, uh, Father God, in Jesus' name, I just ask, Lord, tonight that even as we have a little bit of fun, that you'd still help me to speak your word, Lord, and, and not speak of my own strength, but to speak uh, of you, Lord God. Uh, because when I'm speaking your word, you've promised us that your word doesn't return void. It always accomplishes what you have it to uh, send it out to accomplish. So uh, help us to just have fun tonight, but ultimately to hear and learn from your word. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you can, actually, let's have you turn real quick uh, to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. And uh, as I was reading, I was studying, I did, I'm not, I did study for my sermon a little bit, but as I was, I was reading the scripture, I was like, I told my oldest son, I said, Hedemias, come over here, I want to read this scripture to you. And so I read it to him, he's like, oh, Dad, I like that one, that's a good one. <laughs> so at least we have Hedemias, seal of approval. Um, yeah, and he's, every time I'm preaching, he always sits down here. He's probably coloring and not paying attention. Yeah, he's got, he's got a bunch of crowns. I'm sure that he's, he's secretly listening to every word I'm saying, just like he does whenever I'm telling him to do something at home. So, um, (laughs) but here we go. In fact, this scripture kind of goes right along those lines. Uh, Matthew 21 verses 28 through 31, it says, um, But uh, Jesus is telling a parable here. He says, but what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. But the son answered, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went anyway. Uh, Verse 30. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. So which of these two obeyed his father? And let's ask you guys the same question. Which of these two obeyed his father? The second one? I think think it's the first one who actually did uh, what Jesus said. It says, oh, wait. Hedemius, oh yeah, he did say number one. When I read in the scripture, I said, Hedemius, who obeyed? He said the first one. And I said, why did he obey? Because he's like, he changed his mind and actually did what his dad wanted him to do. So, uh, so Jesus, uh, which of these two obeyed his father? And they replied the first. And then Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth. Corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of heaven before you do. And the ironic thing is that when he's talking to these people, he's talking to a bunch of religious people who thought that they were all holy and spiritual. And he said, you guys think you're spiritual because you always say the right thing. 
But honestly, evil people, you know, people we would think of as evil are going to get into heaven before you do. And so uh, let's just talk about this for a minute tonight. That's my uh, first point I want to talk about is that um, our feelings. Sorry, that's my graphic again. I don't know where I found that. Our feelings do not have to motivate us. And honestly, your feelings are completely irrelevant. They do not matter. Now, uh, our culture tells us that we always need to follow our heart and our feelings. And I was thinking about this, uh, and I think that chick flicks are the absolute worst for this. And my wife knows uh, the disdain I have for chick flicks. So on top of being mind-numbingly boring, and every single chick flick has the exact same plot, how many of these... How many of these movies applaud the pretty wife uh, who leaves her boring accountant husband for the new hot guy at the office because she's following her heart? And they cheer it like it's a good thing. But your feelings don't dictate what you do, just like in Scripture we just read. Your feelings do not matter. According to Jesus, the first son was right uh, because he did what he needed to do, even though he initially didn't feel like doing it. He still did the right thing. You know, uh, we've got a decent amount of people here, but how come there aren't even more people in church tonight? And I think, honestly, it simply boils down to, at its simplest, they just didn't feel like it. They, uh, you know, I'm preaching to the choir because you all are here, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, a lot of people, how many people would rather stay home and watch TV or, you know, they, they were tired from work, so they've been working all day or, you know, they wanted to clean the kitchen or whatever. But honestly, our feelings do not matter. We need to go to church regardless of whether we feel like it or not. Because our feelings do not motivate us. Uh, and thinking back on that scripture we read, uh, even though that Jesus said that the first son uh, was the one that was right, a lot of people, I think in this modern culture, would praise the second son because, you know, he had good intentions. He said he was going to do it, but then he just didn't get around to it. But intentions are not everything. There's an old saying that says uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Um, you know, I was thinking about it, you know, uh, many wives get angry um, because their husband won't do, or their husband, uh, not that their husband won't do what they ask, but rather that he doesn't want to do it. Now, uh, if Julie asked me to help the di- to do with the dishes or clean the house, I will do it, begrudgingly. But... <laughs> If she's going to, if she wants to wait until I feel like doing the dishes or until I feel like cleaning the house, it is not going to get done. And uh, our house would be an absolute pigsty because I have, uh, she was just talking about this the other day. We've got four boys at home and they go behind us messing up the house as quickly as we can clean it. Because we've got four of them and there's two of us. They've doubled us up at this point. I, Alex knows what he's got. Well, you got like, like 15 kids at home or something, don't you? <laughs> I don't know how they do it. 
Adrian, oh yeah, Adrian is calm and kind and sweet and all of that good stuff. Because we know it ain't Alex's fault. I'm just kidding. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, honestly, Julie, deep down, she could care less whether I want to do these things or not. She just wants them done. And so it doesn't matter what my uh, feelings are. The dishes have to get done or there's not going to be anything to eat off of. And you all know I like to eat. Just, In fact, the, you know, we got the pitching coming up on Sunday. That's like my favorite church event of the year. So hopefully you all be here. <laughs> um, but Jesus, he said that the, one, the first son, the one who kind of had the bad attitude but did the right thing, Jesus said he was the one that did the right thing because his feelings, his attitude didn't matter. Many people, I think, hesitate to, to volunteer in church because they can't find the perfect uh, position that they want to help in. Now, you know, rather than waiting for that perfect position, we need to just simply find a need in the church that needs met and meet it. Because, um, you know, I was thinking about this. Ideally, my position uh, would be the taste tester for the pitchens. Because someone's got to test that food, you know. But I don't think they have an opening in that position at the moment. They don't see, and Ezra and, and Miss Ray are there in charge of the pitch, and they say they don't need help there. So, so that's why I'm preaching tonight, because they, they didn't have an opening for taste tester. But uh, show up early on Monday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what we need to do is we need to find legitimate needs, even if it's something that we'd rather not do, and fill it. Maybe we don't all enjoy feeling like uh, picking up trash after service. Maybe we don't feel like the Lord has put the call on our lives of the trash picker-upper after service. But it needs done. So someone, any of us, no one's above picking up trash after service. Uh, you know, maybe you don't always feel motivated or excited to change poopy diapers in the nursery. And Lord knows I've changed plenty of poopy diapers with four kids at home. My second uh, youngest is like a poop machine, and we won't go into that. But trust me, you don't want no part of that. But it's a need that needs met. And so even if you don't feel like you're called to change poopy diapers, they always, always, always need help changing poopy diapers uh, in the nursery. In fact, uh, is is Miss Norma in here tonight? She's in the nursery. Miss Norma is our nursery director. And uh, how many services are there per month? Twelve services per month. Uh, of, of the twelve services per month, Miss Norma is working six or more every single month. So nearly every week she's in there every service because we don't always have enough people volunteering to help. So uh, if you need uh, the Lord to just come down and tell you that you're called in the nursery, let this be the Lord telling you, speaking through me, that you're called to work in the nursery. So I expect some of you to volunteer to be changing poopy diapers. It's not that hard. It's it's not fun, but it's not that hard. And half the time, all you're doing is holding babies. Like, uh, uh, where's uh, Amy? She always comes in and wants to hold our baby for us. And he's a good baby as long as he's being helped. Um, But you know what? Just do what needs done. Another thing uh, is giving. Giving is something that 
should not be motivated by our feelings. Uh, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9-7 uh, that um, we don't need to give out of compulsion. It says uh, each of you should give what you have decided into your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, but what, Jesus, what the Bible does is in order to take feelings out of the equation, uh, the Bible has given every single Christian the exact same base amount that we're supposed to give. Does anybody know what the same, what the base amount that every Christian is supposed to give? 10%. The Bible calls it a tithe, and if you translate the word tithe from, uh, it literally just translates to 10, to a tenth. So this is what leaves the guessing and the feeling out of it. Um, we're all supposed to at least give that 10%. And uh, there's the scripture says that uh, each of us are supposed to give what they've determined in their heart. And I think a lot of people uh, hear it and they think that the key word here is heart. But I think that the key word here is actually determined. We need to determine and decide to give despite our feelings. Uh, one definition of determined is just deciding to do something that you don't, don't really feel like doing. Uh, the, the scripture says that God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, but I used to always hear this one preacher who would uh, he'd read this scripture. He'd say, God loves a cheerful giver, giver uh, but he has no problem taking money off of a grump. So take that for what it's worth. Um, your feelings do not matter because we are just called to give every single one of us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So he expects us to be givers because the more that we're givers, the more we're like him. Now. Uh, you know, we just had worship, and uh, a lot of people always talk, you know, they talk about, you know, wanting to learn how to play uh, an instrument, the guitar, piano, or whatever. But, you know, what's the difference between those of us up here and those of you who've always just wanted to to, pl- to play or sing? And I think ultimately it's that us musicians, we practice whether we feel like it or not. <laughs> I know Chuck, he's always telling me, because he's got uh, three kids at home, too. Sometimes he has to wait till his kids get to bed at 10 or 11 at night, and then he'll sneak off to the back room and put his headphones in and start practicing uh, his bass. And it's just a different level of dedication. You know, we, don't, we didn't quit our lessons just because when we're playing guitar, when you first start to play, it hurts your fingers. Uh, but we push through the pain, and it makes us better musicians, better uh, people because of it. I remember uh, when I was first learning to play the guitar – because my, my first instrument is the bass guitar, which uh, any chance I get, I play the bass guitar. But I went to a church that – I was going to a church that already had um, a bass player. So they're like, if you want to play with us, you've got to play the guitar. I'm like, well, I don't really know how to play the guitar, but I can figure it out. It can't be that hard, right? So I just showed up and started figuring it out. And uh, this song played a lot of, like, gospel old-school songs, and they played them all in the key of E-flat. And I remember that I hated it because that's, like, the hardest – chord to play on the uh, guitar is the E-flat for me. Um, and I used to complain all the time to the piano player, well, can't we do like an easy key? And she would always just uh, she'd always just say, just suck it up and learn how to play the chords. It's not that hard. Um, and it used to make me so mad. I'm like, it's not that hard for you to put it in a normal person key instead of E-flat. But, uh, sorry. Hang with my music mumble jumble. But, you know, I would get so mad, but all these years later, 
when I'm up here, you know, being able to lead and play different instruments and stuff, I look back uh, on Cheryl, and I think, you know what, Cheryl, as mad as it made me, you were right. Even though I didn't feel like learning how to play E-flat, I'm glad I did. Otherwise, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. So ultimately, our feelings need to have no part in what we do. Our emotions and our feelings do not matter. Um, the second thing I want to talk about tonight is that our uh, feelings do not define us. Uh, let's flip over, if we can, to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. This is uh, such a powerful scripture. Give you a second to turn there. I was just reading this one. This one ahead of me says, well, he's a... Uh, since he goes to the Christian school, they have like a Bible reading contest every month. So uh, I've been – last month uh, I didn't do like I was supposed to. And so he like came in like close to last in the in the Bible contest. And I'm like, wait, if I'm supposed to be uh, Pastor Josh now, I better – my son should not be coming in past in the, last in the Bible reading contest. So uh, I've been having him get up every morning and read the, script, the scriptures from the web, church website with me. So we read Hebrews 4 the other day together. Um, And here it is. uh, We'll look at verse 15. It says, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. And something that uh, our modern culture has told us is that our feelings are the most important things in our lives. If we feel like doing something, we should do it, they always tell us. You know, you do what feels right. And, uh, and th- there are tons of evil, wicked things that, you know, even just a, a couple generations ago, people would uh, would have not have thought twice about doing. But today, we have people who just feel like they need to follow their hearts, and they do whatever makes them happy. And so we have all of these uh, evil things going on in today's culture. And, uh, you know, we, they always feel like, you know, if, if you feel like doing something, if it makes you feel good, how could it possibly be bad? But... Instead of pointing out right and wrong, which, by the way, is the correct type of judging, is to tell something what's biblically right and wrong. There's nothing wrong with doing that. That's the biblical type of judging, which we should be doing. Um, But today what we do instead is we just relabel things so they don't sound as bad. So, uh, you know, instead of saying that it's an abortion, they'll say, well, it's just a choice. Or, you know, it's not really unfair. I was just following my heart. You know, it's not fornicating. It's sexual immorality. It's we're making love. It's not whatever blatantly evil sin you can think of. It's, it's just who I am. But fortunately, our feelings do not define us. Just because we feel like doing something does not mean that we have to do it. And we can see that uh, from that scripture we just read. It says Jesus faced all of the same temptations we did, but he never gave in to him. He faced all of these same thoughts, came to Jesus, but he never gave in. Now, a, a lot of modern psychologists have convinced us that uh, if we don't do what we feel, that it's bad, that, you know, that it's a horrible thing to suppress your feelings. 
But there have actually been studies that show just the opposite. Uh, there was a famous study uh, they did back, I think, like in the 60s or something like that, called the marshmallow test. What they would do is they would stick a bunch of, like, four, five, six-year-olds in a room, and they would give them, put a marshmallow in front of them. And they'd say, uh, you can eat this one marshmallow now, or if you wait 15 minutes, if you can control yourself for 15 minutes, I'll give you a second marshmallow. And so, like you would think, like, uh, half the people, half the kids gobble it up right now, and half the kids waited, were able to control themselves and wait that 15 minutes and got the second marshmallow. And the interesting thing is, uh, this was like, you know, several years ago, they followed up with these kids throughout their lives, and the kids who had been able to uh, control themselves throughout their lives, even when they're adults, many, many years later, the ones that controlled themselves were much, much more successful in life than the kids who just wanted the instant gratification, who couldn't exercise any self-control of any kind. So, you know, it helps us uh, when you're able to, even from that, you can see it's just, it's important to be able to control ourselves, even for kids. Now, honestly, rather than, uh, you know, it being horrible to to suppress their your feelings, I think the real horrible people are the ones who are just unable to suppress their feelings. We have to be able to control ourselves. Um, can you imagine how awful it would be if everyone always did exactly what they were feeling at the moment? <laughs> I think Julie would have smothered me with a pillow like probably five or six years ago. Um, but she didn't, so you get to put up with me tonight. Um, but why do people steal or commit adultery or whatever they do? Because they don't know how to suppress their feelings. And I think it's absolute insanity to think that it's bad to learn how to suppress our feelings and that we should always do what we what we feel. Now, uh, I am speaking to the church tonight and I will con I will concede that if for people that are not Christians, I don't know. I am a Christian so I don't maybe the non-Christians literally cannot suppress their feelings. Maybe they literally uh literally cannot control themselves and have to do exactly what they're feeling. Uh, the Bible does tell us in Romans 6 that uh before we became Christians, we were uh, slaves to sin. Um, but for those of us who have now found Jesus, uh, the same it says in the, in, the, in the book of Romans that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now living inside of us. Uh, it, it tells us further in Romans 6 that we are, we're dead to sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. Once you become a born-again Christian, you're no longer slave to sin. You no longer have that excuse that you can't control yourself. Um. Because your feelings do not define you. Maybe you feel like you're a loser or a failure. But just like we're reading, uh, singing tonight, we're going to see that victory no matter what. Romans 8.37 says that no matter what, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, no matter what we feel like. Uh, Romans 8.17 literally says that we are joint heirs with Jesus. Um as I was thinking about joint heirs, uh, a few months ago, or I guess it's been a couple of years ago now, Julie and I went on a big, long vacation to Rhode Island. And while we were there, uh, we took the opportunity to tour some of these gigantic uh, Vanderbilt mansions. They are like some of the biggest houses you've ever seen. And they're just where these uh, super, super rich people lived like way back in the early late 1800s, early 1900s. And uh, one of the cool features was as they t- took us on this tour, they explained the differences uh, – between the children 
of the Vanderbilts living and playing in the mansions and the children of the servants who took care of the mansions. Uh, And if we're thinking about us as being joint heirs, it means that we're not the children of the servants who are just living there and hoping that we don't mess up the floor and get in trouble. We're the children of the Vanderbilts. We're the children of the Most High God who we're sliding down that golden banister and don't have a care in the world because we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what we feel like. We are what the Word says that we are. So you cannot let your feelings define you. Maybe you feel like God is a million miles away. But Hebrews 13.5 tells us that God never leaves us and never forsakes us. It doesn't matter what we feel like. God is always there with us. Some people think that they have no future because of how rotten their past was. But 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are gone and everything is now new. This is why we have forgiveness and, and redemption. It doesn't matter if we feel like it or not. Our feelings do not define who we are. The last thing I want to talk about just for a couple minutes here tonight uh, is number three. Our feelings do not control us. And uh, Pastor actually preached on this on Sunday, but uh, we'll go along with what he was preaching a little bit. Um, but some people continually struggle with the same sins over and over. And some people are even praying, you know, that God will take these evil feelings away from them. And I've got, for the people that are praying that God's going to take evil feelings away from you, I've, unfortunately, I've got some bad news, and it's that God is never going to take away evil feelings from you. And this is because, simply, God is not in the feeling business. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says that we walk by faith, not by sight. Uh, another way, uh, I love the way that pastor says this. He says uh, that we live by the word, not by our feelings. So if we're focusing on the feelings, then we're focusing on the wrong thing. And honestly, if, if you're focusing on the feelings, you'll never be set free. But there is a way we can be set free. Let's look over real quick uh, at James chapter 1. Uh, James chapter 1 and flip down to verse 13. James chapter 1, and then, uh, sorry, we'll get to the good news in a minute, but let's just keep going with this thought on feelings. Um, It says in verse 13, it says, and remember, when you are being tempted, do not say that God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Verse 14, this is important, it says, temptation comes from our own Desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So these feelings, it says, they come from our sinful flesh. So the only way that you're ever going to get rid of these feelings 
Despite how much you pray that God will take away these feelings, the only way you'll escape these feelings is honestly if you die. Because dead men don't have feelings. But I don't think this is a viable solution for most of us. We got that Thanksgiving pigeon coming on Sunday, and we got to at least make it through that, right? Just um, so if death is not a solution, then what is the solution? Uh, let's flip over, if we can, to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. Titus chapter 2. And uh, this is just a good scripture, but I'm going to read this one. I really love the way that this one reads in the, uh, the NIV. Um, and it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. So we've all, hopefully all of us in here have received that grace from God that gives us salvation. And if you haven't uh, received that grace that gives us salvation, then come talk to me after service. I will gladly pray with you and lead you straight to Jesus. And that's the number one thing that we all need to do. But the cool thing about this grace uh, that gives us salvation uh, is what it does for us. Look in verse 12. It says, this grace, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So this, this same grace that saves us, it doesn't, God doesn't just save us and then send us out on our own. This grace gives us the power to say no to any worldly passions, to ungodliness, it teaches us to be self-controlled. So that's why I was talking earlier. Maybe people that haven't received Jesus, maybe they literally can't control themselves. Maybe they have to go and do whatever they feel like. But for us that have received the grace of God, we don't have that excuse. God has given us this grace, which teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It teaches us, it helps us to be self-controlled. The grace means that it doesn't matter it uh, doesn't mean that it doesn't matter what we uh, – it doesn't um, matter what we feel, but grace is multifaceted. And one of the facets of grace is that we've got this special divine ability, this special gift from God to be able to say no. Maybe you feel like, you know, cursing uncontrollably, but that doesn't mean you, you can't help but curse uncontrollably because you have the grace of God. The grace of God teaches us to say no. And I praise the Lord for the grace of God because maybe Julie has many times felt like strangling me. But by the grace of God, she's learned to say no, and I live to see another day. I live to see another Thanksgiving pitching. <laughs> maybe you really, you know, to be more serious, but maybe you feel like you really, you, you, you know, you just, you have to cheat on your wife. But that doesn't mean that you can't help but cheat on your wife because we've got the grace of God which teaches us to say no. Maybe you feel like you, you know, you're seeing, you know, you really love your boyfriend and you're just going to make love to him and sleep with him. But that doesn't mean you can't help but sleep with your boyfriend. The grace of God has given us the power to say no. We're almost out of time here, but every time I talk about this, I always say, you know, Pastor alluded to it on Sunday. There's nothing wrong uh, with, with having sex, but you just have to get married first. 
And, you know, we've got a whole church full of reverence here that would be glad to, to help you get married. Or I don't care. Go to the courthouse. Just get married. Make it right. We do not have to do what we feel. And like we talked about at the beginning, the devil is not forcing you to do any of these things. The devil is not forcing you to sneak off to your computer to look at at dirty pictures in the middle of the night. The devil is not forcing you to say mean things to your wife. The devil is not forcing you to to curse and fly off the handle. The devil is not forcing you to to be rude and mean to your in-laws over the holidays. And y'all pray for me because my in-laws fly in on Friday. And I love my in-laws, actually. I just remembered. I really do love my in-laws. But Julie... I have to say, I, I really honestly do love my in-laws. I'm almost done here. But uh, they, I was always wondering why every time I preach, they text me afterwards and say, you, I, I enjoyed that. I'm like, oh, they must just be watching it. But Julie said it's because she tells him to, she sends him a text message and tells him to watch every time I preach. But, uh, but I really do. I, love, I have the best in-laws in the world, and I'm not just saying that because they're watching. Um, <laughs> but the Bible says that we've been given the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, etc., etc. Ultimately, our feelings do not matter in the slightest because we don't have to do what we feel. To just reiterate, our feelings do not have to motivate us. Our feelings do not define us. And most importantly, our feelings do not control us. So let's just keep that in mind. Uh, I'm out of time. It's... Eight o'clock right on the dot. So let's uh, let's go ahead and stand up if we can. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.